Hello, homeschool friends, and welcome to this episode of the Homeschool High School Podcast from SevenSistersHomeschool.com, brought to you by the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network. I'm Sabrina, and I'm here with Vicki and Marilyn. And today we are talking about science. Science. <laughs> Had a little 80s flashback. She blinded me with science. I never understood that song, but you know. Okay, sorry. You're Y'all old. are looking at me like I have issues. I'm older than that, so I don't remember 80s music. (laughs) Oh, dear. Science, and specifically high school science labs and activities for non-science majors. Because not all homeschoolers are science kind of kids. And that's okay, because there's not one One right right way way. (laughs) to learn science in high school. Yeah, so non-science major kids still need... What do they need on their transcript, Vicki? Well, you know, years ago when we were figuring out what we needed to require of our kids and the kids we were advising, everybody was comparing notes as they talked to college admissions advisors. And a lot of times what the colleges would say was they're looking for 30 hours of lab on at least three sciences, biology and chemistry, right, Marilyn? And some want physics, some are okay with physical science if they're not going into a STEM major. Okay, so we're talking about three different years, probably, of doing a science course that also has an additional 30 or more hours of lab work. Right, so they have their curriculum plus 30 hours on top. And so even kids who aren't going to be a science major, so like, say, chemistry kids or kids going to be a biologist or an astrophysicist, still need their labs. Yeah, they, they need their labs. Okay. All right, so first of all, let's let's do the global philosophical thing. Why? Why does the lab stuff matter, and how should non-science major kid parents, that really didn't come out well, but <laughs> the parents of non-science major kids, there we go, how should they sort of philosophically think about, we need to do labs, what's the point, what's, what's our motivation here? So I would say there's four different things that you would be kind of be your goals as you're doing labs with non-science majors. Um, One is to inspire them, just to give them that experience. And even non-science majors may have to take a lab science at college, so it gives them a little bit of experience. Um, To show them the awesomeness of God's creation, because labs Mm -hmm. can do that in a way that you wouldn't get anywhere else. Good to show them the practical side of science because whether you're a science major or not, those theories and things are at work in your world all around you, No, you know, even if you're not aware of them. Right. Even if you don't like it. Yeah. Right. You're probably benefiting from a whole lot of science in your real world, whether you're noticing it and being grateful for it or not, like, you know, indoor plumbing and electricity and things like that. <laughs> we science? like those things. <laughs> And if they're planned correctly, a lot of them can be fun, or they could at least be memorable experiences, even the not not fun ones. Yeah, there's a, there's a wide definition of fun that we use here on the Homeschool High School podcast, because we do like to say that, you know, mostly high school, mostly fun is what we're aiming for. But sometimes fun is that it was group suffering on a tremendous scale, and they will talk about it the rest of their lives, and it will be really funny after the fact. 
Well, you know, those are the ones our kids still talk about when they're together. That's like, true. remember when we went to the sewage treatment plant? And, <laughs> so, there's still group trauma going on there, and yes. they, they laugh about it. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. Okay, so um, inspiration and an awe for God's creation and a, an understanding of the practical applications of science and then some fun. So let's talk about format because there's not one right way to plan for your labs. So um, a lot of people who use a fairly traditional textbook for their sciences often do a once a week, one hour-ish lab, right? And that yeah. ends up filling your, your requirement. Right, and, and sometimes textbooks will include a lab manual and have you know built-in labs that you can do. But for non-science majors, a lot of times those labs are just horrific and expensive. Mm. And so colleges mm. are not looking for, like what was the, the intensity of your labs? Like they usually are not gonna ask that to a non-science major if they had an interview with a kid. So then you might as well do something in your budget and something that your kids will get a meaningful experience with. So, cool. yeah, so they can follow a lab manual or you can yeah. make your own. So let's talk about the expense piece for a second, because whether you're going to do this weekly or in some other format, it is more expensive to do science labs for one kid. We don't exactly Obviously. know why, but it is. <laughs> well, if you're going to buy equipment and materials to use once, mm -hmm. it just is more expensive over time. And we have had good experience with people swapping microscopes, you know, from one year to the next kind of thing. And they, they travel around the local community and you can share dissection kits, but you still have to buy more dead bodies to dissect, right? <laughs> <laughs> and where do you get those dead you bodies? You just don't reuse oh, them. <laughs> It's really creepy. And even, I, yeah. you raid the graveyards. <laughs> no, I never actually suggested died. that. <laughs> like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Didn't Michelangelo do that? Or is that just made up in the agony and the ecstasy in the novel? I, I think I remember hearing that Michelangelo got connected with a grave robber and because he wanted to understand more about the, the, the skeletal yeah. muscular and yeah I, well everybody's got to have a job <laughs> Gosh. so if your kid is exhuming bodies they could be the next michelangelo you never know <laughs> all right we need to get back on track i'm so sorry so it's expensive to get the stuff the dead bodies us. being frogs frogs and starfish and, yes <laughs> yes um and you also sometimes are looking at, if you're doing trips for some of it, there are lots of field trippy kinds of things where by doing it in a group, you pay a whole lot less per person, um, that kind of thing. So, plus it's just a lot more fun. Yeah, yeah. If it's you have a much science, more fun to do it with yeah. someone else. Yeah. If you have a kid who is a science major, who's a science nerd, they, may, they might not care. They might be very happy doing this stuff on their mm -hmm. own. But for kids who are not sciencey kids, yeah, way more fun in a group. Okay, so if you don't want to do it weekly, what's another good option? In some of our classes that we do with our day school, we meet once a month for like an entire morning or an entire afternoon with a group of kids. And then usually those are set up as stations so that they're doing several labs all in one day. But it's 
setting it up once and taking cleaning it up once but getting several hours out of it for several students and we've typically done this not in somebody's house right it works better for stations we've done both okay yeah 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 we've done like co-op science labs where once a month just whichever moms needed a bunch of science labs for their kids that year we would throw in our resources together and we would have an all-day kind of lab experience and each mom would set up a lab station with an experiment that they ran in a different part of the house so it takes a mom willing to have science all over the house and the porch and the garage and yeah so it's probably clear by this point in the podcast that i'm the non-science of them all in our group. So what did you I, do with your kids when you know, they were... I had, a, I had a fantastic system. I sent my children to other moms to do science in high school because I wasn't any good at it and I wasn't interested in it. So yes, I sent them to, to Vicki and to Marilyn and to lots of our friend Christine and yeah, I, I just found other moms. Because you know what? That's what homeschooling in a community oh, is like. Wonderful. Praise God. It is wonderful. All right, field trips. That was the one piece of it that actually some of that I, I would go along on and participate in. So let's talk about some of the field trips that were that were rock solid, good lab experiences, whether they were necessarily the favorites or not. They were yeah. really good. Because we would count a science field trip as a lab. So if so you they didn't were count every hour of it, you counted the trip as a lab hour. We we counted it depended yeah. how many how much time we were spending. Okay. So it varied. It could be three hours. It could be one. Okay. We didn't count the picnic lunch usually gotcha. unless they were eating something. Not all of the travel time or. Yeah. But the, yeah. the time they were experiencing something science-ish. Okay. So obvious things would be zoo trips, yeah. aquarium trips. That I know was my, my daughter's favorite yes. because oh how she loves her animals. Yes, we've done a, a lot of state parks have programs for schools that homeschoolers can also get in on. So one of ours has a seining field trip. So you go into the, you know, you're on the beach and you're taking the net out there and you're catching whatever you can find and then talking about what you found in there. So it's kind it's biology and environment and. Cool. The cool thing about the ones that the state parks have is the ranger leads it, and exactly. so all you, you don't have, have to, to do know is show up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right. right. And so the kids get this wonderful hands-on experience, and uh, it, by an expert. Mm-hmm. And we didn't. And if there's have equipment to, needed, like yeah. the equipment is there. The equipment is there. Well, yeah. and the the boots that they wear, all of that is yeah. included in the field trip. So you're paying for the field trip, but as a group, as a school group, it's not super expensive yeah cool and our, our state parks will have a list of like field trippy things that they will do with high schoolers that they publish every summer so we just have to check the websites or the emails or whatever they're doing good stuff there was there was the wastewater treatment facility that was not a, a favorite big one but, but and memorable no. is what <laughs> Yeah, because <laughs> you can count that for biology or chemistry because there's microorganisms going on there that are digesting the wastewater. Yes. Or environmental science because it's keeping our environment safe. Yeah, or right. chemistry for all the We used know, it formulas. for chemistry. Yeah. yeah. So the kids would, would um, get a tour. So one year it was in the freezing cold rain mm-hmm. and... 
So they remembered that along with all the other walking across the pools, like the wastewater, like, like across, the, across wastewater the wastewater pools. pools. Yeah, they, they have never forgotten that. <laughs> no swimming. Yes. <laughs> my kids, um, my husband works as a lab analyst in industrial chemistry, and two of my kids got to do a take your kid to work day thing that was put on by the facility, very, very large facility that he works for. And so in addition to actually getting to see whole rail cars of stuff being processed and dealt with, and they also did demonstrations, you know, dipping balloons in nitrogen and exploding things. And yeah. 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 And um, it was, they both loved it. And neither of them were sciencey people at all, but they both absolutely had a blast. And they came away from it with a lot of respect for him and what he does because right. they saw him like you know put into an encapsulated fully encapsulated suit because he was going to have to be in an area where there was exposure and it just, you just kind of go oh wow people actually do this and it makes my world possible you know yeah so pretty cool yeah our, our kids one year went on a field trip to um, the gore plant where they develop all the gore techs and stuff and so they would allow the kids or some of the kids to put on their rain gear mm-hmm. and then they had a rain room where it you know like wind and rain is coming down and they're standing in that room cool. with their gore tex little raincoats on and staying dry awesome how about the blood bank? I missed that one. <laughs> that was one of the best ever. So, yeah, I took a whole bunch of kids, some other moms too, and uh, we they were just having this nice tour of the blood bank. It was biology year, and they were talking about what the blood bank does, and they were watching people donate blood and the, demonstrating how they analyze the blood, and they had a wonderful field trip with handouts. And we lost probably half of the population <laughs> out of 20 kids. There might have been like 10 or 11 standing at the end. So we'd have these big teenage boys. They're standing there and they're watching somebody give blood. And all of a sudden, you would see them melt like you wouldn't know their bodies could bend like that. And they would just kind of slide right down on the floor and go, another one's down. So they didn't remember a lot about those field trips. I guess not. I think we counted them anyway. They were there. They were there. They They were were unconscious, but they were there. They had an experience. (laughs) Oh, dear. Okay. We took, well, well, don't forget our damn field trip. Oh, the damn field trip. Yeah. Yeah. What was that? There's a local um, dam not, not all that far from where we live that, at the time, this was before 9-11, I believe. I think we went <laughs> once afterwards, but yeah. they, they used the to do stage. actual tours through the, um, through the facility. And then to boot, there's just a lot of hawks and eagles that fly around there. So you could kind of get a nature field trip along with, I guess, the physics <laughs> of hydroelectric power. Yeah. So the kids thought the the dam field trip was kind of boring, but they had a lot of fun with the vocabulary. <laughs> and, and but they did. And we've taken them several times just to see the eagles and the hawks because you know the fish are stuck on one side of the dam, and so it's good fishing for the big birds. And so we could just stand there with our binoculars and count how many bald eagles and red tail hawks and all kinds of things, ospreys that were out there. That kind of science I like. Yeah. I like to watch the birdies. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so let's talk about some of the hands-on, like more traditional experiment experiments that people often think of, not field trippy. Start off small and easy. So 
people say the word dissection and lots of people panic a little bit and oh, I don't know how we're going to, but you can dissect things like flowers. So dissecting flowers only makes kids a little bit sick. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't seem to bother them too much unless they have allergies. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. What did we learn about allergies with the science lab? It can be very... A, a new experience because we have had kids allergic to latex and the latex gloves to the alcohol we used to clean off a CPR mannequin. Um, kids can be allergic to the formaldehyde that is used for the specimens when you're dissecting. Um, chemistry is probably one of the ones where you have to really watch it. Typically biology other than people who have, you know, the seasonal allergies isn't as much of an issue. Yeah, so so dissecting and chemistry labs are done best in a well-ventilated room. Yes. And if your kid has allergies, make sure you know that ahead of time, if possible. So what kinds of things should you dissect and how do you go about doing that? Let's say you've got two or three families, you're gonna do biology labs together this year and you wanna dissect, how, how do you do it? Send them to Maryland. Oh, there we go. <laughs> well, and most of the things that you're going to dissect, there is some kind of a video that will show you what to do. One of the advantages of dissecting in a group is to have at least three or four specimens and two or three kids on each of them because you're not going to see exactly the same thing in each of them. So one frog might be a female that has eggs in it or... Um, you can really see a certain artery in one and it doesn't really show in the other one. And that way the kids can see it even if it's not in their particular specimen. I'm, I'm getting grossed out. I so, am too. Yeah, so where do you order these frogs from? I'm, I'm, looking, for, <laughs> I'm um, looking for a frog store. Where do I go? There are homeschool, actually. If you Google homeschool dissection, there are suppliers my advice is if you are going to do like a frog or a pig or one of those, get the ones that are injected with red and blue dye so that you can really see what's going on in there when you open them up. There's double and triple injected. Gross. Okay. And, and, and the... In the school schools, a lot of dissecting doesn't happen anymore mm -hmm. because just culturally it's not a wise idea with all populations. So for kids who have allergies or a moral issue with dissecting things, um, that that would be one watching a video of would be, a, yeah. And there's, I mean, you go on YouTube and it's just there. So. And depending on your student, you might want to have some questions that they have to answer while they're watching it because it's really easy to tune out a video. Right. Yeah. Well, having, yeah, so, you know, some teachers, some of the homeschool moms have kids do a whole lab report and, you know, like serious writing kind of things. And we would usually just give the kids handouts with some questions that they needed to answer. Fill so, in the blanks. Yeah. Because they were non-science majors. Right. And we're not trying to turn them into the next physicist or chemist or, you know, whatever. We're just having their experiences. Okay, let's let's talk about some chemistry labs a little bit. So um, what kinds of things do you remember doing and enjoying with chemistry labs? I know our friend Stacy Lane, who blogs at LayeredSoul.com, right. um, was a part of our chemistry co-op 
a couple of years ago where we would once a month do a whole bunch of stations and she's a hoot. She, she, oh, Stacy's <laughs> wonderful. So you, you should check out her blog. Yes, you should. So she was absolutely the mom's, I mean, the kids' favorite station because she would take them outside and blow things up. Not kidding. So she didn't <laughs> endanger kids or adults. They were safely things that would safe e- erupt, blow up. And uh, I don't or, know. Yeah, like rockets flying yeah. and things like that. So it, 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 it involved things spouting in some oh, form right. or the other. And uh, so the kids would know the science behind what she would do. So she would tell them what they were doing. They would observe. They would record their observations. But it was just a hoot. Uh-huh. What else? I'm trying to remember. We a lot of here. kitchen science can oh, happen. Yes. There are a lot of chemical things happening when you are cooking, baking. And there's all kinds of resources to find those. So we would Google easy kitchen science at home. And uh, our friend Marcy at the Homeschool Scientist has lots of experiments. Like you can do all kinds of labs from her website. Yes. And we would, So we would just get other people's simple ideas that the kids could replicate themselves. Because they're non-science majors. So they're not right. having to do like major heavy-duty right. stuff. Yeah. Plus they see the practical application of what they're doing. So one of the easy ones is um, making jello and putting either cooked pineapple or uncooked pineapple in it and then waiting for it to set and the uncooked pineapple won't ever set. <laughs> oh man, the spoiler alert. So it, <laughs> it for everybody. <laughs> it you know, they see a practical oh, that's why this doesn't work right. or you know, it actually means something. Yeah, we had fun. We did a lot of kitchen chemistry with my youngest, and um, our water, our house is on a well, and our water is extremely acidic, really, really low pH, and so there's kind of an obsession in our family with trying to get the pH up in things because, you know, drinking lots and lots of acidic water all the time is hard on your body, and so because of that, there were already, there was already kind of this culture of pH awareness in our house, but we spent a day, and he got obsessed with taking pH strips and testing like everything he could find in any cupboard or whatever. And we ended up creating this huge chart. And it was it was fun because he was not a science kid, but that particular thing captured him. Because it was meaningful right. in his life. He has pH anxiety. Right. <laughs> pH anxiety. Oh dear. Oh wow. Okay. Physics. We gotta touch on physics. Um amusement park physics. Is I mean, for awesome real. Sauce. Yes. That's not an inexpensive way to do well, no. a field trip, but that might be worth it because it would be lots of fun. And some of the amusement parks have a physics day mm-hmm. and they send out information that you can go over before you actually go. And I mean, I made my kids do a little bit of physics when we were skiing because oh, you can. Yeah. Well, there's an excuse for a ski exactly. trip. <laughs> it worked for me. <laughs> I mean, we got five or ten minutes of actual lab out of a day of skiing but hey but hey the day of skiing <laughs> yeah. was was well uh, it was a it was a good price to pay for that physics learning right and for your athletes almost everything they're doing is physics, physics related right yeah so so physics sometimes at our local historic places like uh, we live in Delaware area where there were old like DuPont, you know, gunpowder factories and water wheels and stuff. So sometimes they will have physics days there and that, you know, kids can go and learn the the physics behind what was going on. And anything to do with machinery. So if you do any 
like we've done field trips at the Hearst Potato Chip Factory near us. And if you have talked about it ahead of time and the kids are looking for it, there's lots to observe in how A lot of simple works. machines. Right. So. Can I go back to biology? You can. Yeah. So one of the biology practical life skill things in, in the Tillman house is doing kind of nature geeky journal stuff. And so we would have the kids just at our house. I would send them out once a week when they were early high school and they would just sketch whatever they were observing non-judgmentally. And I taught them the basics of bird watching and the basics of, you know, how to use a field guide for the flowers and stuff. But now my adult kids say, hey, I saw a Baltimore Oriole in the yard. Aww, so yeah, it cool. became a life skill or they they noticed this kind or that kind of plant, you know, that was blooming early in the spring. So that that, you know, they say, oh, mom, they have to do it at high school level. But Bye. sometimes it becomes a life thing. There and another go. practical use, and you, this could be biology, this could be health, this could be anatomy and physiology, you could decide where you wanted to put it, but CPR and first aid, mm -hmm. I think, is an absolute must during high school. I think it's a must for everybody, but we have had either someone come in and do it, or I bought a dummy and we had a video and... <laughs> I'm sorry, I bought a dummy. <laughs> a CPR dummy, and we practiced it. Not not necessarily for them to be certified as with CPR but at, or first aid, but enough to know something should they be in a position where they need to use it. Yeah. So some years our kids did get certified mm -hmm. CPR and first aid, and some years we go, we don't need to do that. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, we were doing um, first aid as part of our anatomy and physiology co-op and um, in, it happened to fall during that week that um, my son was opening a can of ravioli and sliced his hand open oh, and gosh. we had to go to the ER and he was fascinated with the whole stitching process and was asking a zillion questions. And the um, ER doctor was so amused by him that then he gave him a little set of, of stuff so that if he, you know, not that he was recommending that he remove his own stitches in 10 days. But just understanding that the possible, you know, we, he had, and he like tap danced around this. It was so funny. He kept looking at me and I kept smiling encouragingly like, no, I'm not going to be mad at you later. So he sent him home with this little kit of stuff. And then the next week at co-op, or 10 days later at co-op, Jenna removed his stitches in front of everyone. Oh my goodness. <laughs> so you can make some really fun memories when you're doing science labs. So sometimes you have doctor approval on it, and sometimes the memories are not approved by anybody. That's so right. When I almost set the kitchen on fire one time in Ooh. chemistry. So did Ooh. I mention that? Was that your kitchen or someone else's no, kitchen? No, it was Karen Weber's kitchen. Yeah. Wow. We were doing do? science labs there, and uh, I didn't know that magnetic marbles would catch on fire, and I was also doing... It was chemistry year, so I had purple mm. cabbage boiling, and I put the hot pot on a hot pad on the counter, and one of the magnetic marbles that we were doing something else with oh, rolled no, over, hit the pot, burst into <gasps> flames. It yeah. was memorable. Ouch. Yes. I don't know what other things were happening to make that, you know, just erupt, but, but the kids remember. Stacy Lane were here, she could go outside, and she would set up an experiment, and she would find out what she caused would replicate it, she it. would intentionally set magnetic marbles <laughs> on fire. Which is the difference. Stacy's inquisitive, and I'm oh. just like, grab the fire extinguisher, because I just don't <laughs> care. 
So we hope that this episode has uh, given you lots of ideas, primarily lots of inspiration to say, you really can do this. Mm -hmm. High school science lab hours have to happen, and high school science labs for non-science majors can be a lot of fun. Indeed. And you really can think outside the lab manual box and um, enjoy it with your kids and explore. If you are looking for practical suggestions, we highly recommend our friend Marcy Goodwin at thehomeschoolscientist.com. Indeed. She has... Oh my, oodles and bazoodles of fun and gross and all kinds of cool ideas. And she already thought of it, so you, so don't you just have get to. to yes. Yeah, you get to pick her brain. And um, yeah, don't forget that you are going to need probably a minimum of three sciences in high school. That in addition to your regular credit that you're earning, you also need 30 lab hours. So don't let it sneak up on you. Um, you want to be incorporating incorporating labs into your years of science in high school. So what am I forgetting? That people should come visit us at oh, yes. our Facebook page. So the Homeschool High School podcast has a Facebook page. Yes. SevenSistersHomeschool.com has a Facebook page. And SevenSistersHomeschool.com has lots of blogs yeah. and curriculum and videos yeah. and stuff. Helpful stuff. You yeah. can always contact us there. Excellent. And if you like what you're hearing on the podcast and you would like to help other homeschool high school families find us, then if you hop over to iTunes and you uh, give us some stars and a little review, that will Indeed. help people find us. So thank you for joining us. We look forward to future episodes with you here on the Homeschool High School Podcast from SevenSistersHomeschool.com, brought to you by the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network.